This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome in to Take Command. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. I host the Hoffman Show three to six each and every day on the Team 980. If you want to check out the radio show anytime, anywhere on the free Odyssey app, Logan frequently a guest there. And, uh, of course, you can check out Logan on Command Center, but you know his resume is a little more impressive. Played 10 years in the NFL, if you don't know. Six of them in Washington. And, Logan, today, today, we go through in the top five uh, storylines of the offseason. So, typically, mm-hmm. our Friday podcast has been a preview of the upcoming game because of events, uh, specifically games that did not go <laughs> great. We don't have a game for the Commanders to preview this weekend. So instead, we'll go our top five storylines of the offseason, which I have in no particular order. Uh, the ownership situation, which has potential football ramifications. It's certainly, sure. I, I feel like it's having them right now more than Yeah, anything. I think right now that. is the thing, yeah. Um, quarterback and offensive coordinator, which are almost tied together on some level. Uh, offensive line. And then what do they do with Deron Payne? There's some other guys that are also interesting and worth talking about, potential extensions, et cetera. Uh, Cam Curl, Montez Sweat. It's uh, those guys who could be up next year or who are up next year. So there's a lot to get into as well. Some honorable mention storylines that we'll get to by the end of the podcast. But Logan, let's start with the ownership situation. Uh, conventional wisdom right now, based off of the best reporting that's been done by ESPN, the Washington Post, and others, is that Dan Snyder is indeed moving forward with selling the club. That I think Sportico had it that there's like $8 billion almost offers. Like the number, the number, actually JP had some of that. that the, the numbers are north of $7 billion. Wow. So if that's, if that's the case, he's selling. Mm-hmm. What impact does that have on the franchise? Also knowing, like one, the sale in general, uh, but two, the timing of it where the, the, again, conventional wisdom is the earliest it will be finalized is late March at the owners meetings, which is of course after the priority free agent period. Yeah. Well, obviously you know more about the implications with regards to like the stadium and like the logistics of like a new practice field and all those things, which have been kind of pending right are now like in a limbo because of Dan, because of all that stuff. And you can talk about that stuff sure. from like an off season perspective. If they're not going to be done till March, like, you're not changing too much. You're not changing GMs. You're not changing coaches. You are kind of dialed in with what you got. And so I think it also limits what what Ron can comfortably do in terms of turning over the staff because, again, he'll probably get next year to kind of prove to the new owner that, hey, I'm your guy or 
you know, kind of say or, or let the owner make the decision that Ron's not the right guy. So it makes it challenging, I think, and everyone's talked about this to kind of bring in an OC of like super high ilk because they want to be a guy who's going to be somewhere and can install their offense. Like I've talked to numerous offensive coordinators and they always say it takes about three years for the the guys to learn an offense. You know, that's because of teaching and learning and evolution of offense and finding what guys do well, but it's also because there's lots of turnover on the roster. So lots of variables there, but I think you are limited now. You kind of say we got to find a guy who's willing to do a year, and we've talked about that in the last show. Um, and so we'll I think talk about it again of, in a few minutes. So Yeah, and so that's kind of like the um, – to me, to me, the biggest restriction, you're not going to make any big personnel changes because if you change front office stuff, you're not going to be ready for the draft, right? If you change the coordinator, they got to be ready to be here for only a year. So that to me is all kind of the football stuff associated with, um, with ownership. And also the other thing that you're kind of, you're kind of hampered by is you are going to have a hard time making any kind of big moves in free agency. You know, let's say you want to go out and sign a you know, a, a premier guard and free agency, that's going to be challenging because Dan's focus seemingly will be on something else, which is selling the team. Right. The hope is that by free agency, we would know who the owner is. Mm-hmm. And it's just got to, it, it, like what's happening at the end of March is a formal vote, right? right. Like what, what's, what's happening then is the finishing of the process, not a vote on, okay, we have four bids who is the owner going to be if we're still there in march then that's that's not good from the free agency standpoint because then you're talking about exactly what you're you're talking about in terms of the money whatever but if and i'll just use jeff bezos because he's seen as the favorite and he's the most cash you know rich cash rich if if we know bezos is getting the team by march 1st he can get on the, there's nothing stopping him as far as I know from getting on the phone with Ron Rivera saying, Hey buddy, don't worry about it. Like Dan's going to get his money, you know, back. Uh, I will pony up. The player's going to get his money. Mm. Be aggressive, right? right? That could be a conversation that's had. It's just not as easy when the guy's not in place. And generally speaking in business, and this speaks across all businesses, when you're selling, you don't want to make major investments because the new ownership has to then pay for those things. It decreases the value of your business. And so there is an element here of just straight economics that says, yeah, there's probably gonna be some limits in free agency. With that said, in a salary cap league, where there's also a salary floor, you have to spend a certain amount of money. So Washington's not just gonna not spend money at all. Um, And I do think that they will largely do business as general, um, or as as normal, and that's ultimately a good thing. The thing that I think is concerning, though, Logan, uh, well, here, if you want to follow up on that real quick, and then I have kind of a bigger picture ph- philosophical thing um, It's actually out of a book that I'm reading that I think is interesting and very much applies to Washington. So the other thing I want to ask you is what's the cap number going into this offseason? We just had that up. We were talking about it, and I don't want to misquote myself, but I remember them being relatively cash tight um, compared to other teams in the league. Um, and I just want to make sure that I'm remembering that correctly. So as of right now, they are a league average in cap space. Okay. Um, they're t- and the way I'm using Spotrack for this, which is a phenomenal website, Over the Cap is also good. I happen to be a Spotrack yeah. guy. Uh, Michael from Spotrack has been on the show. He's great. Shout out, Michael. Uh, we should actually have him on the podcast. Uh, but 
they've got 12.5 million in cap space, which puts them their dead league average. Their league average is, is 12,519,000. They're at 12,539,000. Of course, that's their top 51. And I don't know if that includes like Carson's number, for instance. So they have mechanisms to create space. Uh, and I think that's something that is obviously like, yeah, I don't believe that includes Carson's number. Cause now I'm looking at, at Spotrax, like 23, like 2023 list of free agents and Carson's not on there because mm. technically Carson has two more years on his deal. Mm-hmm. However, they can cut him at no dead cap money and create $26 right. million in cap space. Right. So yeah, that's always important to kind of contextualize, especially when we start talking about pain and stuff. Um, because you, you need cash to make these moves. And so like, just as an example, like this is to put this in context, like let's say you wanted to give Payne $12 million a year, which probably is going to be cheap for what he's going to ask. I'm thinking he's probably in like that yeah, 14 to 15, that. maybe 16, 17. It depends on what the market holds, but he's going to want a lot of money. So you need to make sure that this year it's cleared up so he can get that. Obviously you can prorate stuff and signing bonuses. You can do a little bit of cap magic. But this first year, it's going to be a big cap hit. So right now, to sign him, they don't even have enough cash on hand to like get this deal done, right? So, and again, they can prorate stuff. They can move stuff around. They, I've seen guys work cap magic, but something needs to happen here in the offseason. And some of those decisions are challenging, you know, especially with ownership thinking about other stuff. So again, it, it might just be, I don't think it's prohibitive of anything getting done, but it does put like a, um, you know, a restrictor on how quickly things can get done and kind of mucks up the process, which, you know, is usually, Hey, Ron calls Dan, Dan says, you know, Hey, we're, we're going to cut, we're going to cut Carson. We're going to restructure Curtis, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, go ahead, do it. Now Dan's got other things to worry about and how, how easy is that process going to be over the next couple of months? Um, I, I think, I think yeah. it's just something to keep in, in, in your mind somewhere, like how affect, how much is it going to affect? I have no idea. Is it a factor? Yes. Yeah, it's looming in the background. I just I just double checked on Carson. Yeah, they they save twenty six million dollars right. by cutting him instantly, and there's right. no dead cap this year. Right. There's no dead cap next year. So you know, getting getting the cash on hand. I mean, there it is. There's your cash on hand to sign Deron right. Payne. Um, and often in the first year of deals, you see like Landon Collins was is when they signed him here. They did this. He had a one million dollar base salary his first year because the signing bonus gets prorated. Now we're getting super nerdy, but this is a podcast. This is this is the space to do it right. So if someone has, let's say they sign what's ultimately a five-year deal with a $60 million signing bonus, mm-hmm. uh, that's what, 15 uh, or no, four years. I don't know why let's you go, those numbers. Because I, I, I was trying to make easy numbers. <laughs> I, I'm going to do four years, 60 million, because <laughs> that's that's $15 million a year. This is what happens when I try to do math. So four years, $60 million signing bonus, right? Um, and whatever the base salary is, that $15 million a year is part of their cap hit every year of the deal. Every year. So if you sign someone to a one, like a four-year deal, and in the first year they have a base salary of $1 million and a $60 million signing bonus, then their cap hit is 17 million, or what did I say, uh, 15 million, $16 million. million. 15 plus one is 16, Logan, 16. Uh, $16 million cap hit that first year. They don't really care about that base salary because they just got $60 million in cash. Minus the taxes, whatever, but they get the signing bonus up front. It just is cap math. It's spaced right. out, so they're right. like, "Yeah, I don't care that I, I'm making a million dollars this year because I got sixty-one million dollars uh, in the bank." 
And so that's something like Tom Brady used to do all the time. He used to take a huge signing bonus over a five-year deal, which he wasn't going to play out anyway. So, But he gets all that money guaranteed. He plays three years. They restructure. Same type right. of thing. So they could definitely do something like that with Deron. And that's another thing that like you can give him more guaranteed money with a structure like that, save yourself some cap. But I think that's interesting. When you see that $26 million for Carson, it becomes almost like, obvious like a necessity that at a minimum they restructure and they're probably not you know they probably are he's just not coming on. back like i don't well, even I think mean, we need to tiptoe around I, I think i think he I, in martin's press conference i feel like they were kind of like they were it, it didn't seem like they were complete like the door was like open a little bit just the wording i have to i have to look at it again but i remember thinking like that's weird. Why didn't you just say like, yeah, you know, we've, we've talked. I think they're trying to be nice to a guy who was a model teammate and had a bad rep in terms of his, his teammate, like citizenship, if you will. Mm. And I think they're trying to do right by him as a human being because he deserves it because he was a good soldier all year in a really tough year. And they don't like, there's no need to beat up on Carson anymore. He was bad. Like, okay, we can, we get it. Everyone saw it. I don't think there's a reason to, to go beyond that. There's no way he's coming back. The one I did have a caller the other day suggest Frank Reich as a potential OC, and then they could they could salvage Carson. I was like, oh my god, if Ron thinks this year was tough in the media, wait till he does that. Um, but <laughs> on on the bigger front, um, it's kind of the responsibility of a team president or an owner to have a long term vision for the franchise, right? Mm. And so the, I mentioned the book. One of the books I'm reading is this book, Soccernomics. So this is you know mm. more in global global football, global soccer. Um, and what happens in the transfer market there is, which is a very different marketplace than the NFL. But you have player like these big clubs that sign players from other smaller clubs, and they're very impatient. And there's a ton of money involved, both both for the actual transfer because you pay a transfer fee. Like imagine if mm. to sign, right. you know, another like team's free agent, trade. you had to yeah. you had to pay a fee because um, they weren't actually a free agent. Um, but you could just take another team's player if you agreed on a number, and that's how it works. So you pay massive amounts of money in transfer fees, and then you have to give that guy a new contract, which is big. And typically you're making acquisitions because your team's not where you want it to be. So the manager's in trouble, manager gets fired, the manager was super aggressive. So now because they wanted to swing the other way, they hire a manager who's the opposite playing style, but you just spent all this money on players that play the aggressive style. And there's just like this cycle of hell that teams get stuck in. And one of the things that's helped a lot of clubs is they've hired like a director of football or whatever, technical director. They call it different things in different clubs. And it's like, okay, at Club X, we play this style. And mm. even if we fire the manager, we're going to have the right players and we just need someone to coach them differently or better. Mm. But we're going to always be a pressing team, attacking, whatever, right? Right. And where I think that has some, some place in this discussion with, an American football team and a salary cap system in a closed market uh, is the fact that Washington is going into this year where Ron Rivera is both the primary decision maker with the with like the biggest long term focus on everything, mm -hmm. and a head coach who's kind of seen as a lame duck. Right, and like typically lame duck coaches try to do something big to save their job, and uh, you know the the owner's job is to kind of go like, Hey, actually, we're not going to do that because I am, I'm not committed to you long-term. And it really screws the coach, um, to be honest. And it's not fair to anyone necessarily, but also it's the owner doing their job. And if they select the right player, it can be great. 
Um, if it's the wrong player, um, you know, this one's always tough to talk about now, but like, it's what happened to Jay with Dwayne Haskins. Mm. Like Jay was on his way out. Dan was like, I don't care that you need a player right now in the first round. I want that kid to be my franchise quarterback. They draft mm. Haskins and it, it doesn't work out in any particular way. Uh, and then obviously, uh, we, we lost Dwayne tragically years later, completely unrelated to that, or you know, completely unrelated to that decision. But the idea that Ron might want to do something big at quarterback or do something big in general, and the owner is not really in a position to say yes or no because he also is not here for the long term right. is kind of a weird thing that is looming over this franchise. Right. With that said, and this is where I am very curious what you think as someone who knows Ron far better than I do, is Ron has almost a blind optimism. Mm -hmm. I don't think Ron sees himself as a lame duck. I think he's like, I'm one year away. If we can make a couple of moves, we're headed in the right direction. Our guys are playing better. A new owner's going to come in and love me because we're going to be winning. And in a way, that's actually a good thing for the franchise's health right. long term. Yeah, I do think Ron is optimistic, but I think there are reasons to be optimistic. And I know like I get crushed for being like very optimistic towards the team. But I think if you step back and objectively look at it, I think like there are some pieces here to be very, very excited about. And some things that if you again, if this offseason goes well and you make good personnel decisions with regards to um, specifically the draft and free agency, like you are not far. You are probably two offensive linemen in a corner away from being really, really, really good. Like that, and that's a that's a great proposition to be three players away at you know positions that are you know corners obviously a very high value position, tackles a very high value position, but guard is a very low value position. You can find one in free agency. There's going to be some in the draft this year. Center is another position they've talked about. Again, those are low value positions, so you can get the best guy if you want and not break the bank in those situations if you wanted to go the free agency route. So I, I do think I don't disagree that they're not far off like so for example like let's say you improve on the offensive line you get a coordinator that that abides by this principle that they're trying to to engage in of, of kind of this run first philosophy play action pass all that kind of stuff like that is what's the seattle seahawks were the first time russell wilson went to the super bowl they have a rookie quarterback they can spend a lot of money and i think if you look at where ron's at with howell you know just in kind of the general whispers around the building i think he's very optimistic and i think he should be very optimistic right like I was talking to someone in the media department yesterday who said Taylor Heineke was talking about Sam Howell starting since week five, you know? So obviously like there's very optimistic from a guy who's competing with him. That's a very optimistic take. So I think there are reasons to be like, if you're Ron, like, yeah, we're going to be good next year. We're going to be really good next year. And I, like I said, they're, if they're not far off. So right. I, with regards to the owner, like I understand why Ron feels that way. I understand why that where, where there's that belief. It's just about, like you got to make three good decisions at a personnel, like three really good decisions and you got to make a good hire. And so do you have confidence that this staff can do that from a personnel standpoint? I think you should be very confident because they seem to be over the last two years, pretty good. Obviously their hit rates not a hundred, but in the draft specifically, they found some fantastic pieces. So yeah, they've drafted well, the free agency stuff's been a mess. It's been, and free agency. So let's, this is again, a little bit of an aside, but free agency historically, specifically with corners is very like the hit rates. Like Right. Yeah. Terrible. Their hit rates, not necessarily any worse than like right. league average, yeah. but they've also chosen to address in free agency, certain holes in free agency right. and done really poorly with it. Like it's okay to like O-line is, is also sometimes hard in free agency. 
they really screwed up with with Turner and Norwell last right. year. Um, and it was compounded by bad luck. Like Turner, Turner was all right the second half of the season. Um, right. It's just his he was a mess in early because he got hurt and was out of condition and right. that whole deal. Norwell was very up and down. Um, but I felt like Norwell, like that's the thing about it is like even Norwell had flashes where he played really well. And it's like right. those are guys, those are pieces. Offensive line specifically is a piece that I think is very affected by your offensive approach and philosophy. Right. And I felt like early in the year, they kind of had to find something that fit to those guys' skill set, right? So I think that's part of it. But, you know, when you're the team president, when you're making these decisions, like you got to hit, like in the draft this year, like they better make some. And the reason we're talking about the draft and we'll talk about O-line here more in a second is because this is a kind of a down year free agency wise for offensive line. So it's kind of, I don't say it has to be the draft because there are some guys I like in free agency, but something to think about. Anyway. We got totally, I don't even remember what we were talking about now. Uh, we were talking about ownership and the effect and the general thought of right. like uh, a philosophical thing for the team. But I will say this on the on the philosophical thing um, to wrap up this this segment before we move on to, you know, you say three players away. There's also the quarterback position. We need to we need to talk yeah. about that, which is yeah, a yeah, pretty significant do. thing. Three um, non-quarterback positions. Though. Yeah, um, but it seems like part of the problem that they had this year was you had personnel and offensive coordinator that suggested you'd be like this big explosive offense with a lot of downfield passing which suggests a lot of drop back etc and then you had a head coach who is actually in charge of the personnel department who was like actually we're gonna now run the ball in the middle of the year um and but it, it was the right like, call though it no was it was the right a right call, call but it, yeah. like it, it's just it's weird because they it's like they tried to have it both ways. Now, Ron's like, I wanted to run the ball the whole time. And it's like, did you, when you drafted a wide receiver in the first round and signed Carson Wentz? Can we talk um, about that for a second? Like, I think that, like, with, with skill position guys, I think you can never, you always want to be skill position guy rich, even when you are a, I don't like, disagree with that. Team. And so, by like, the way, just real quick, like, they, they could have utilized those guys way better if they had gone to the play action stuff that, like, right. we've all been talking about. Correct. Correct. I agree. Like I'm not even going to elaborate. Like I just flat okay. agree with that. So, yeah. yeah. So I I do think people sometimes get a little back and forth on that, a little sideways on that. But yeah. generally speaking, like, do you have, do you draft cer even certain kind of linemen? Like, oh, we want really mobile linemen, and then you you know the coach yeah, is gone next year, and you got a coach who wants to run in a phone booth. Like, yeah. so there's there's kind of a philosophical consistency that you're in a dangerous spot as a franchise because transition is hard yeah. and those little things matter so yeah. without an owner over the top not that dan was someone who was real locked in on football based off of his entire history um on those types of things um but without an owner in place to kind of have some idea of what he might want to do long term it is an interesting thing to watch and in how they build this team uh this offseason <laughs> 